0: Pushing through the Book of Deuteronomy, uh, not really a book of the Bible that is often, you know, on our bucket list of books of the Bible to read, um, but um, yet there really is a lot of uh, a lot of great uh, details that are not given in other passages of Scripture, and so uh, the Book of Deuteronomy gives us further insight, and of course also on the commands and the. Um, the laws of God, which are talked in great greater depth, the further you get into the book. But um, Deuteronomy, from chapter one to really um, the end of chapter four, uh, is is just a review that Moses is giving of the journey that God has brought the children of Israel up to this point, and really from their slavery in Egypt, all the way uh, past their uh, wilderness wanderings, and then um, up to the point of God's commands, which are given. And uh, the commands, that is, of the way in which they were to be living and are commanded to live their lives, and the laws which God had laid out. And so Um, with that in mind uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2 we find um, the wilderness wanderings review you could call it uh, and the details that are given uh, though I don't intend to read through the entire chapter but the details within this chapter give us an an insight which are which is not found in the book of Numbers numbers 14 is where we find uh, the children of Israel in that beginning portion of their now starting to wander in the wilderness um, uh, but in Deuteronomy 2, we're, we're told some of the events that took place during that time. Uh, let's look together at Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Siri many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough, Turn you northward, and command thou the people, saying ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in uh, Syria, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them. So these are the children of Esau, or we would know them to be the Edomites. Look down at verse number 9. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give the other land for a possession, because I have given our unto the children of Lot for a possession. So we see the uh, Edomites and the Moabites, these are uh, within their wilderness wanderings, the uh, uh, people uh, groups to whom they are passing through. Um, The Bible says in Uh, Verse number uh, 14, And the space which we came from uh, Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was 38 years, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the hosts, as the Lord sware unto them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the hosts until they were consumed." Verse 17, and the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thou art to pass over through Ar, the coasts of Moab this day, and when thou comest nigh against the children of Ammon, distress them not. And so now we see the Ammonites, yet they are passing through. And the Bible tells us then yet again in verse number 24, uh, now a different direction which the Lord is giving to them. He says, rise ye up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thine hand Sion, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land. uh, Begin to possess it, and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee, and the fear of thee, upon the nations that are under the whole heaven. And who shall hear report of thee, and shall tremble, and be in anguish because of thee? Uh, The Bible says in verse number uh, Twenty-nine, As the children of Esau, which dwell in Syria, and the Moabites, which dwell in Ar, did unto me, until I shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord our God giveth us. So what does he say in summarization? Uh, they had passed through these other people groups, and the Lord had described how this was their land. They were not to distress them. They were not to uh, trouble them. Uh, they were not to um, uh, meddle them. The Bible uses that word in verse 5. They were, they were not to... Uh, touch any of their property that was theirs. God had given it to them. But God says, now I am giving you this land. Uh, there is the, the generation that has passed. The men of war, the Bible tells us in verse 14, have now uh, passed along. And this was God's uh, promise. More particularly, this is what God had said he would do, that that particular generation would not see the promised land. And so now these men of war have passed. And God says, I have now I will now begin to give you this land. In verse 29, that's why he says, as the children of Esau, or as the Edomites, and as the Moabites were given a land, so now I am giving you also a land, he says. Look at uh, verse number 30, if you would. But Sion, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. For the Lord uh, thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart absent, that he might deliver him into thy hand as appeared this day. Uh, again, notice it is God who harden his heart. Why? For the intent that they would go into battle and for the intent that God would give Israel the victory within this battle. Verse 31, And the Lord uh, said unto me, Behold, I have begun to give thee Zion and his, hand, uh, and his land before thee. Begin to possess that thou mayest inherit this land. Um, I want to bring your attention to just a couple things in verse number 1. The Bible says in verse 1, then uh, uh, we returned and took our journey unto the wilderness. The Bible says our journey into the wilderness. And then uh, we see it yet also again in verse 24, rise ye up, take your journey. Right, I've entitled the message tonight, taking your journey out of the wilderness. Taking your journey out of the wilderness. Uh, there are two different kinds of journeys that, uh, uh, that any Christian can take, and we can either live uh, in and for the promises of God, or we can ignore them, or we can look past them. And this is where we see the children of Israel, where one generation had looked past, uh, yet another generation, God is ri- rising up, and he tells them, take your journey, go forward, in Numbers chapter 14, as you should uh, maybe already have found your way there, Numbers 14, we find the account that was given to the children of Israel, uh, particularly the time in the giving of the promised land. In Numbers 13, we find uh, both Caleb and Joshua as the 12 men went to spy in Canaan. 10 were bad and two were good, right? The two came back with the positive report. The 10 came back with saying that which was negative. In verse 28, the Bible says, Nevertheless, The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, were in chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 13 and verse 29. Uh, I jumped the gun a little bit back on you. Chapter 13, verse 29, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coasts of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? Look down, if you would, in verse number 8. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Look at verse 11, if you would. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will this people provoke me? In Deuteronomy 2, uh, in verse number 24, we see him telling that new generation, Rise up, take your journey. Rise up, take your journey. Whereas in verse number one, he tells the the, the entire generation before that they took their journey into the wilderness. Again, I say to you that as Christians, we can take one of two journeys. We can either take the journey within the Christian life that is holding on to and unto the promises of God, living by the promises of God, or we can look past them and see only that which we want to see. You see, the children of Israel were so focused on the work of the enemy within the promised land that they missed the work of God within that promised land. The children of Israel were so focused uh, on uh, that which they could see rather than uh, the God whom they could not see. Uh, They were so uh, concerned about that which would benefit or, should we say, harm them rather than they were simply just concluding that what God has for us is all that we need. And when we consider the Christian life a journey with heaven to be at the end in view for all of us, some of us as Christians are walking through, catch this, the journey of the Christian life, but it's looking for us more as a wilderness than it truly is as a, as a journey, as God intends for it to be. You see, the Christian life is a journey, but the Christian life is not a wilderness. But for some of us, it, it, it becomes and seems as though that it is. And why so? Because our response within the journey becomes that of the same as the children of Israel. I've outlined for myself some things that will cause the Christian life to feel more like a wilderness than a journey. The first of those we find in Numbers 14, um, in verse number 1 through 4, as uh, the children of Israel are really now, um, we find their spirit uh, of all of these things. Verse 3, And whereof hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Can I remind you, this is not the first time that we see the children of Israel in this kind of spirit. You remember when God had provided for them in the, on their journey to the promised land, and God had provided manna uh, and, and given them the quail at that time. And what did they do? They yet also said the same thing. We're not the cucumbers and all the, 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 the vegetables that we had to eat in Egypt better than what we are given now. Uh, would God not give us more? They, they had, and here's the first thing, discontentment in their own heart. You see, what causes the Christian life to seem more like a wilderness than a journey is discontentment. Christian, can I tell you, uh, that when we are truly holding on to the promises of God and living by the promises of God as he gives us in his word, uh, you will not live a life of discontentment, but rather you will be content with all that God has given you. Amen? The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 8 that the murmurings uh, of the children of Israel during that time, uh, though complaining about the manna and the quail, it was not a murmuring and or a complaint that was directed towards Moses and Aaron but rather it was a murmuring and or a complaint that was directed straight to God. Understand, Christian, that as we walk and live the Christian life and we're walking through the journey of the Christian life, there will be things that don't always go our way, but when we start to become discontent with that which God has given us, we're now turning our journey into more of that of a wilderness. We we start to dread it. It starts to become miserable. You see, the Christian that is uh, that is holding on to the promises of God is uh, now uh, keeping the promises of God in view. In our case, the promised land for us is heaven. Heaven is, is our eternal home that has been promised to us by the Lord if we have received Christ by faith. Amen? So our eyes must be set on the prize which is before us, knowing that heaven is our eternal home, and it is with Christ in view that we are able to say, you know what? At the end of the day, all that this life, this journey, which I'm living on this earth, will pass away. I'll take nothing with me, but the life that I have and has been promised to me to be with Christ in heaven is one to look forward to, is one to treasure, is one to keep in view. Christian, the understanding is this, that when we become discontent, when we become a murmuring individual, a complaining individual, we've taken heaven off of our eyes. We've stopped Letting the promised land be uh, our our encouraged, motivating focus in life. You see, when when heaven is in view, it helps us to be the right kind of witness. When heaven is in view, it helps us to be the faithful Christian to Christ. When heaven is in view, it helps us to remember to be in God's word and read it. When heaven is in view, we remember to come to God in prayer because we're remembering that eternal promise that God has given to us. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Amen? We have a promised land that God has given to us. But may we not become discontent with that which God has given us. Could I remind you of yet further promises God gives to us in his word? Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 11. The Bible tells us uh, this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am. This is uh, Paul who's speaking, In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content." In verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You realize God will not strengthen an individual until we first find ourselves content in him. See, this was so much of what the root of the problem was for the children of Israel. Why they could not go into the promised land. It began with a heart of discontentment which God, uh, 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 of the promises which God had given to them. Has God not promised us that he, would care, he will care for us, that He will provide for us, that if, any, if we have any needs, we can come to Him and ask of Him, and He will meet our needs in His time and according to His will. He has told us these things, but yet how easy it is to let the Christian life be, become a life of discontentment. Hey, Christian, be content with that which God has given you. Amen? Hold to the promise that God has given to you of knowing that heaven is your home In James chapter 1 and verse number 17, why don't you look there with me if you would. James 1 verse 17 is a wonderful promise and a reminder of who God is and uh, how he should be seen in our lives. James 1 and verse 17. The Word of God says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." So we're understanding that everything that comes into life is because of God. And look, though there are things that are discouraging, that are discomforting, uh, that we have reason, we might say, or excuse to complain about, yet at the end of the day, think of all the good things that God does in our life. Amen? You see, uh, when, we, when we are walking through the journey of the Christian life, it must be a life of contentment. You see, when Paul said, in whatsoever state, he says, at any time, at any time, I'm choosing to be content. When Paul says, uh, in verse number 12 of Philippians 4, everywhere and in all things, he, he's saying, anywhere, anywhere that God has me, I'm choosing to be content. In, in verse 13, when he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, he says, "I can do anything, so anytime, anywhere, and in anything i 'm choosing to see God in it, and i 'm depending him depending upon him during that thing uh, within that place uh, during that time, whatever it may be i 'm looking to god i 'm holding to his promises, and remembering that that which God has given me is all that I need christian don 't allow yourself to be so drawn to a state of discontentment that it causes you to walk through the Christian life as though it's a wilderness. You see, this is what the children of Israel had done. Now, the very journey which was meant to be one of looking forward to the promised land, now they are dreading it because they've been God is now causing them to go through 40 years of wilderness wanderings as a result of their discontented attitude. You know, it's very true, I believe, that God allows Christians... To even wander through a wilderness as a result and because of a discontented heart. They have so given themselves to being uh, angry and frustrated with what God brings into their life. And by the way, again, any complaint is a complaint to God. They've, they've, They've become so discontent with the life which they're living that now God has so allowed them just to continue wandering. Does that mean that God cannot turn them back to himself? God can. But I do believe that at the same time that there are some Christians who are simply wandering. Why? Because they have so, we would use the words as Paul said, they have so seared their conscience to being content with all and only what God gives to them. Let me give you the second thing here. The the next thing that will cause the Christian life to feel more like a wilderness than a journey is pride. Pride. Deuteronomy 2, if you're still there, in verse number 14, we see God bringing down the pride of the children of israel by now we're in the book of deuteronomy it tells you somewhat of the progress that was made since the book of exodus and uh th- that by now undoubtedly the children of israel are start we're starting to think pretty highly of themselves they're god's chosen people they have been delivered out of, uh, of Egypt, a, a great and powerful nation. God has even parted the Red Sea for them to cross freely on dry land. Wow, they are such a, a special, and as the Bible calls it, they are a peculiar people, a chosen people of God, but yet that now God brings them down to such a point that verse 14 says this, and the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we came over the brook of Zered was 38 years until, until all... The generation of who? What kind of people? Well, the Bible tells us all of that generation, but more specifically, the men of war were wasted out from among the hosts as the Lord swear unto them. Yes, if you look back in the book of Numbers, you'll find God having said that uh, that particular generation of the children of Israel would not see them. Those fathers would not see them, but would see the promised land. But the child, their children would but understand this, that God had brought them so down and low that every bit of strength which they had is now gone. You know what's interesting about here in Deuteronomy 2 is where you find um, God dr- drawing these men to the end of themselves by pulling out all their men of war. Yet all three of these companies which they passed through, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, what does God tell them to do? Don't touch them. Why? Because God is helping them to understand this, that I am the one who's going to bring you the victory. It's nothing that you can do in and of yourself. It's not about you. In fact, it's very interesting that he uses the word in verse 24. He says, contend with him in battle. While the word contend has to do with a fight, but yet contend also has the idea of withstanding. That gives us the understanding that God was not saying, oh, you guys are plenty powerful enough, go do it. No, God was saying, I am going to turn the enemy against you and therefore then I am also going to give you the victory. He didn't tell them to go, you guys just take all your ammunition, take all of your strength and ability and you guys just take them out because you got the full capability to do it. No, God says, you simply contend. Because what I'm going to do is cause the enemy to be turned against you. And that's why we see in verse number 30, why the king himself, what his heart was hardened, not out of anything more than God himself. God was giving them that land. So we find a pride issue. It was an issue that uh, had, uh, we know the opposite of pride is that of humility. It was, it was a humbling of themselves that God was doing uh, to the children of Israel. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We find a man of, of humility in the book of Luke, and uh, one, we could find many, but uh, one that would come to my mind, that is, in Luke 7. Um, Here is the centurion servant uh, who's getting yet to be healed by Jesus himself. But the centurion in his attitude within all these things, just to gain context, Luke 7, verse 2, the Bible says, and a certain centurion who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. A centurion servant, that is. Look at verse 6, if you would. Then Jesus went with uh, them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him. Saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself; for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. You know what we find of this man: his humility took it went as far; it went right into his home. Humility in the home. Let me ask you, Christian: Is humility defined in your home? Uh, it can, can if others were to come into your home, could they find uh, people of humility? Do your children know you to be a person of humility? Does your spouse know you to be a person of humility? You see, what this man saw, he said, I'm not even worthy that Jesus should step into my home. In other words, he's saying, my home is not worthy. All of what I have is as a result of and because of Christ. And so I am not worthy of it. I'm a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner in need of Christ. God does not deserve to be into my home. I'm unworthy of Christ to be here. Humility in his home. Number two, we find humility in his person. In verse 7, the Bible says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. Not only to come into my home, but I'm not even worthy to come before you. I I, I am, again, I am nothing more than a a sinner before you. The question should be asked to ourselves, who do we see ourselves to be before God? Somehow we can gain some understanding in our life that God owes us something. That God needs to do something for us. See, this is what happened to the children of Israel. God had so blessed them and blessed them and blessed them that their heads began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now God's having to poke their head to let all the air out, right? To bring them down to the end of themselves. Christian, are you here tonight? Maybe God needs to bring you to the end of yourself. And all the blessings that God has given to you and promised you, and you've been you've been Flourishing in those blessings. But now maybe something has so come into your life that's caused you to, um, to now become proud of that which you have. Can I remind you, nothing that you have is because you earned it. All of what you have is because God has given it. Amen? What you find in the book of Deuteronomy is God saying this, and I love this phrase as, as is found in verse number 31. He says, It says, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have begun to give. But God cannot begin to give until we are in the place of humility. Amen? God cannot give us anything until we realize that we don't deserve it. <laughs> until we realize that the only thing that we need is God. You see, uh, the Christian journey of li- in, in life will not always be uh, a, a life uh, that is, is just simply filled with only that which is good. <laughs> There will be things that, could, that Satan can use to cause us to have a heart of discontentment. And there will be things in the Christian life that can cause us to become proud rather than humble before God. I give you yet another thing of this man found in Luke 7, the centurion. He was humble in his home. He was humble in his person. But we find humility in his leadership also, in his leadership In verse 8, he says, For I also am a man set under authority. That's Luke 7, or or Luke, yes, Luke 7, verse 8. I also am a man under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to the other, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. What does this mean? Well, here we find the centurion finding a parallel between the way that he commanded his soldiers and the way that Jesus is commanding the diseases. And what is he saying? What is he showing? It's showing that he believed that all diseases had to obey Christ's authority. Uh, Even even just a word had to be under obedience of God. And what does that mean? It means that, as Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He understood the power of God's words. It it means that as Colossians 4 verse 1 says, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. He says this, I have been given a role of leadership, but I'm choosing to to have an attitude of humility within that role because I serve a higher power. Amen? We do serve a higher power. And yet, while God may, and we all uh, have roles of leadership, by the way, God may not have given you um, the the role to be the manager or the boss or uh, the person in charge, but we all lead somehow in some way. But the goal should not be that we just lead and so we work ourselves up the the work ladder to become this great somebody. But that we remain remain a person of humility, remembering that we are only a somebody because of who God is. Amen? We have a master in heaven, Colossians 4, verse 1. We have a higher power above us. We are not the one who's in charge of our life. We are not to be living our life as though we are in charge and we have something that we deserve, but we are to remain as a person of humility. What causes the Christian life to seem more like a wilderness than a journey? Well, as we've seen already, it's, it's uh, a pride, it's discontentment, but yet we look at number three, it is faithlessness, faithlessness. I've already mentioned it to you. But in Deuteronomy 2, we find in verse 4 and 5, them coming, uh, them told not to come up against uh, the, the Edomites. And then in verse 8 through 9, we find them being told not to go up against the Moabites. In verse 18 through 19, they're told not to go up against the Ammonites. And now he tells them in verse 24, rise ye up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thine hand, Sion and the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin. Notice the repetition of that word begin. Begin to possess it. This day will I begin. He says yet again in verse 31, uh, behold, I have begun. There there is now a new beginning. You know, the Christian life is full of new beginnings. They used to tell us that often in college. Christian life is full of new beginnings. Uh, God allows things to come to an end so that other things can then begin. And sometimes when we come to a new beginning of something, uh, it's not always easy to continue to live a life of faith because we, missed how it, we miss how it used to be. The Bible tells us a life of faithlessness is, a, is the Christian individual who uh, uh, forgets that it is only God who brings the victory in every battle, in every uh, battle in every moment. Uh, in every walk of life, it is Christ who is to uh, be our leader, who is to bring us to that victory. You see, this is what Jesus, or this is what God is doing, Jehovah is doing in this passage of Scripture. He's drawn them to the end of themselves, caused them to realize it's not about them, caused them to realize that you've been so uh, um, discontent with that which I had given. And so now, understand, you started to live a life of faithlessness because you stopped depending upon me by faith. When he tells them to rise up, to now begin, to contend, he's telling them, begin in faith. Understand now, you don't need your men of war. <laughs> Understand now, you, you, don't, uh, you don't need uh, what the way things used to be. You don't need uh, great possessions. You don't need great talents. All you simply need is God. And when God is all that you have and you conclude that he's all that you need and you become content with Christ... It's only going to help you to live a life of faith in the Christian life. You see, we're talking about the faith life. The faith life. In Philippians 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Hebrews 11, verse 6, and I conclude with this passage, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The problem was, is the children of Israel were not trying to please God because they weren't living by faith. They weren't diligently seeking Him. And as a result of them not choosing to diligently seek God, what did they lose? They lost the reward. I'm not saying today that God can take away your salvation. And praise the Lord, He does not. Amen? You receive salvation. It's for all eternity. But I am saying that as you're walking and living the Christian life, could it be that faithlessness, that pride, that discontentment has caused you to be now be living the Christian life as though it's more of a wilderness journey than it is a journey to the promised land? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if I could pray for you tonight if God has spoken to